0: One of our founding members, Judy Garvins, lost her husband this last Wednesday, several decades together, Uh, truly marvelous man, and of course, one of the reasons I liked him so much is that he was a husband of a smiler. And spouses of smilers had to put up with a lot. (laughs) <laughs> but in the midst of this tragic loss which will happen more and more frequently as uh, all of us start uh, getting getting older we're reminded of perhaps the most significant of the buddha's teachings we're reminded that none of this lasts. That we're invited indeed into uh, a participation, a deep participation with what is. And that once we can be very fully with what is, without trying to adjust anything, when we can just meet reality as it is, we then have this amazing opportunity to be awakened by all things. Is deeply difficult as this situation is, certainly for Judy and for those of us that knew Kent. It's a reminder that... Every single moment is icing on the cake of life. I caught myself several times uh, from Thursday, I guess it was when I got news on, um, looking at my wife a little differently. As many of you know, I'm kind of a neat Nick. My wife, not a neat Nick. (laughs) (laughs) And as I watched the house kind of go through varying degrees of chaos as we were trying to cope with two kids that were sick and um, various plans that we had in place or we thought we had in place, I remember thinking in various moments there was a catch. It's like, honey, if only she might not be here tomorrow. At 3.30 a.m., which is my eldest daughter's favorite time of day or morning, uh, I try to remember that too. I'm pulled out of uh, a beatific slumber to meet with a great teacher the other side of the house, who happens to be crying and just wants a little bit more water. And then when I bring her the water, she wants it hot. <laughs> but it's still such an invitation to awaken. Loss is here. It will be with us. In fact, it colors every single aspect of our experience, whether we can meet it fully or not, is really kind of the test. And it also shows us the extent to which our practice is beginning to inform a deepened life. I wrote, I wrote this, I'll share it with you. Losses associated with death are so very painful. Awakening won't take away this pain. In fact, awakening never insulates us from life's challenges. It allows these to be expressed more fully in our awareness. Awakening relentlessly forces upon us the grandeur of each experience. An opening to this grandeur gives us each a chance not only to, to not, gives us each a chance to not get caught by anything. Awakening reveals the inner spaciousness and courage that let us experience everything more completely. We get to meet life's intensity with even more more sensitivity, more care, more intention, and even more fearlessness. Awakening offers the use of a mind that is neither ossified nor closed, but one that is soft, flexible, present, and open. Because of this, an awakened mind experiences life in the most dynamic and undefended way imaginable. Tears of grief might flow more easily, more freely. The intensity of of fear, anger, and passion that we feel in our conventional circumstance might be much more powerful than before we started to meditate regularly. But this enlightened relationship to each birth and death in our experience allows us to meet each circumstance with even more presence without succumbing to any grasping or resistance. This kind of freedom is probably best seen in the faces of people who can face life's temptations but aren't necessarily compelled to give in to them. This isn't to say that there is anything wrong with temptation, but when any of us is no longer internally obliged to take temptations on, or when we are no longer caught by what they might offer, we are free. The big temptation here, obviously is to take each other for granted, don't. It's easy to do, so don't. And if we can let that be a practice, if we can let not being subsumed by uh, our fear of loss, if we can let life happen and be there with it, knowing full well that it's all temporary, we can awaken in the middle of any disaster. That's my wish for all of you, that together as a Sangha, we can not only hold the Garvin's family in our hearts, but we also can hold all beings in our hearts. with difficult situations and maybe more specifically difficult people can become one of the most powerful ways in to uh, this work really if you will deepening our practice by meeting difficult situations and difficult people with uh, a certain grace a certain um, awareness. It makes a huge difference, not only in your life, but in the lives of those you touch. When we do this, when we live in a uh, manner that is fearlessly exposed, regardless of whatever the situation might be, when we are out there and we are ready, there is a certain... um, Beautiful, energetic presence that can inform who and what we're about, who and w- what exactly it is that we're doing. When we're no longer hiding behind a role, when we're no longer hiding behind uh, a practice or a philosophy, when we're no longer hiding, when we're just utterly exposed and we stay right there with it without flinching, and participate generously, then what happens is the difficult situation or the difficult person that we might meet teaches us or acts as a teacher. I was sharing this with, um, with a practitioner not too long ago, uh, a story that, or a dream, a recurring dream that I have continually uh, and that is that I show up. Well, there are a couple of them. Um, the first, the, the first I, I've talked about this before, so forgive if you feel like I'm looping. I'll, I'll we'll get back to the Dharma talk in a second. <laughs> but I, I I have the dream that I'm late for my SAT. I'm 45 years old. <laughs> And I still, <laughs> or that uh, I forgot to drop one of my classes in college, but the finals next week, <laughs> utterly unprepared. Jeannie, you still get that one? You do? Yeah, okay. I don't feel so. Yeah. Never showed up for the class. Yeah, it's exactly right. I never showed up for the class, but the final, and, and I, what always runs through my head was how am I going to bullshit this one, <laughs> right? How am I going to bullshit it as opposed to, oh wow, oh man, now what, you know? Um, and this this was this this is the, for some reason uh, really freaky to me because it, it's it's been so real, and that is that I show up on stage, um, <laughs> the band. Uh, Radiohead, that I don't expect any of you to really appreciate, because none of you are hip enough. Um, but <laughs> I'm totally teasing. Radiohead, if, if you know who they are or whatever, they're just a, they're very, very creative, almost like a Beatles-esque band uh, in contemporary terms. And you're all hip enough to appreciate Radiohead. But they do a lot of experimentation with sound. They do a lot of twisting and bending of what you might consider to be the traditional verse, chorus, verse, chorus, right? They do different stuff. And I have this dream where the, the uh, leader of the band, Tom York, says, you know, Michael McAllister, would you, would you step in and, and sit in with us on this one? <laughs> and then he hands me a guitar. And I don't really play guitar. I certainly don't play guitar like they do. And it's like, and then I wake up. And then of course the, the ultimate is teaching in front of a classroom filled with 17-year-olds and I'm buck naked and unprepared. <laughs> now I'm bringing this up, this is probably way more information than any of you really feel like you wanted tonight, but the idea, <laughs> the idea here is this vulnerability This is a great reminder. These dreams, if you have anything even similar to them that show up or if in your life you feel like you're utterly exposed, those are great gifts because they show us, they show us an opportunity that is rarely explored to participate fully in a moment where you are utterly and totally unprepared. Meditative practice actually helps us develop a certain equanimity when we can we can participate in the world from a place of, oh my God, what now? Exactly, what now? And that when that questioning gives rise to a certain um, bizarre excitement of not knowing and when we cannot flinch in the face of this not knowing, when traditionally we're always about knowing, we're always about putting it here, 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 and here, evaluating, judging, and so forth, when we can just be in that raw space, regardless of the difficulty of the situation, be it teaching in front of a group of people without your clothing, something as silly as that, or something as brutally tragic as losing someone you've been married to for decades. We begin to dance with life differently. We begin to appreciate the vast spaciousness in any and all scenarios. We start to see that every single event, every single thing arises out of this infinity and dies back into this infinity. And because we are at a broader, uh, more expansive, if you will, place of viewing all of this, there's a little bit more ease that can show up Practice with your situations. In life circumstances, can you develop a sense of play? Not that it's not tragic, but can you have kind of an openness around that tragedy? Can you let tragedy point you? Can you let depression point you? Can you let kind of anxiety point you right into the house of God. The only way we can do this is to not cling, to not attach. The only way to die before we die so that we don't die, as the Sufis say, is to let go to not hang on so much. The very natural thing to arise out of this not knowing is well, what next? Who is it that cares? Who is it that cares what's next? Ego. And ego's precious too. But when we begin to open to not knowing what's next, what we begin to do is open past the constraints. Of ego, We begin to look through lenses that are a little bit more refined, a little clearer. They allow us to see more deeply into what is. So we can try that. We can try that as we meet the world this next week, just the situations that burn, that hurt. Try. Try being right with them without trying to do anything to them, without trying to fix them but just be with them. Just be with them. Same goes for difficult people. Now, every one of us in this room has experienced great difficulty with people. Some, some people uh, we have a very hard time kind of pulling away from. Maybe it's because we've taken a public vow and, you know, we can't, uh, you know, or divorce isn't something we want to do or a breakup isn't something we want to do. We're not quite at that level, but we're still dealing with a certain uh, difficulty with an intimate. We also might find that we uh, are dealing with a certain personality type that is difficult in our place of work. We might find that that difficult personality type might be someone that we used to be married to but are no longer married to, or we used to go out with but no longer go out with. It might be the person that, for whatever reason, you end up, it, it, they are your checker in the grocery store every single time you go, and they're just really crotchety and cranky. That might be it. Whatever. We run into people. Some of us, some—we we can experience for some bizarre reason attracting a certain personality type and not knowing how to use the practice to actually make sure that our needs are met and that their needs are met so that both of us can become more conscious out of the interchange whatever it might be. Uh, I was reading a, a Great article uh, this last week, very, very short, but it was, I thought, done quite well just as a psychological approach to dealing with three different personality types um, that we tend to face uh, that, that can show a tremendous amount, of you know, just, just really kind of get in our way. Um, the first one you, you may be uh, alive to is uh, somebody who is uh, a boss. A manager not like your boss at work but just somebody who's very controlling likes things just so it's going to be this way my way the highway very controlling person um the thing i always find most entertaining about very very controlling people is that evidence doesn't matter (laughs) they're really charming uh Exchanges, typically, between a controller and, uh, and another person. Either somebody that they can control, and then they're in heaven because they've got this one wired. If it's a relationship that a controller is in, they may have it wired because they can control them, but they wonder, what's missing? Well, you don't have a partner. Oh, yeah, I do. Well, But you're controlling them all the time. You are over them instead of dancing with them. Instead of creating a dance, you're smothering them. Oh. Dealing with a controller, someone who will not uh, allow evidence in, somebody who is just going because they know it's right, um, that type of personality can be particularly difficult. But it's still an invitation into awakening. We can still begin to look at any exchange we have with that person at a really deep level. And let it inspire something within us. And amazingly, what the controller respects, what the control, what will bring the controller into the deepest space of consciousness is your controller. Can you meet them by being completely upright? Can you meet a controller who's pushing you around and just be right there and not move with a tender smile. Can you say no? Can you say no fricking way? (laughs) Do you have that in you? Because if you don't have that in you, you are not participating from that space in you that is awake. You're participating from that space in you that is small and fearful. And that's hard for people. I thought Buddhism was about being all gentle. and Yes, it is. Much of the time. What is it really about? It's really about being absolutely, totally present and giving. What's giving about letting someone beat the hell out of you or somebody else? Not much. That doesn't mean you have to beat them down. But it it means that to walk in the world from an awakened perspective, participating very, very directly with that type of personality type in ways that they can hear becomes a gift to you because it's exercising muscles you up until this point may not have known you had. And it's also forcing them to see themselves through you that breaks down walls. That awakens us. That awakens them. That's what a bodhisattva does. You don't have to be mean. As a matter of fact, if you are, you don't have to be cruel. You don't have to, you better not be attached, but you better allow for voice to happen. The other type is the, um, the warrior slightly different than the controller. The controller wants to boss and manage. The warrior wants to criticize, categorize, evaluate, judge, and find flaw. They're deeply competitive. Their mantra is, I must win or I must die. Very difficult personality type. So how do we bring an awakened presence into something like that? What's the way that they will hear? This is going to sound really strange, especially in light of what we just talked about with someone who's controlling. When we're talking about somebody who's at war, we don't go to war with them. We actually allow them to see that they have no one to fight against. Like in Aikido, where we we transfer the energy. We're not gonna go to war with them, but we're also not gonna let them beat us, beat us down. And how we do that means we extricate ourselves from a situation with them, from a dialogue or argument. One of my closest friends in the world is one of these, Combined with controller, okay. Some of you may know people like they are special, okay. Uh, every argument must be won, or it for some reason it's like it means death. And the reason why is the warrior is deeply insecure. The one who's really going to battle, who must win, is desperately afraid that they will have to relive some type of deep scarring that showed that they were a loser. <coughs> Can we allow them to feel like they've won so that they can hear us if we need to say something to them? Can we also not necessarily need to say anything to them? Do we also have the strength to walk away? Every situation, we either work to uh, uh, consciously fix it, okay, keep it the same, bring our consciousness to what is the same and totally accept it? Or walk away? Do you have the strength to walk away from someone who's in that space of war? When they realize they have no one to fight against, they usually are like Pericles in his tent. He had nowhere to go. He was only at home on the battlefield. Not letting them bring you onto the battlefield becomes critical. The other type of uh, person that is particularly interesting to uh, deal with is a, uh, a clinger. A clinger, someone who clings to someone who is incredibly needy, is someone who never evolved past a certain stage of childhood. They are deeply attracted to people who have power they want to be near it they look at themselves as being incompetent and they want to just at least rub shoulders with those who are because maybe some competence will rub off on them how is it that we can best deal with them Uh, avoidance tends to fuel their neediness i don't know if you've ever noticed this in people that you you have met up with but the kind of the, yeah, get away, get away, get away. Well, 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 you've just reinforced the story that they've been telling themselves for years, which is, I'm not enough. The gift that we can give a clinger is, you're doing just fine. Can you help me with this? Can can they be put in service of a mutually agreed upon goal? They'll either show up or leave, uh, and by showing up, I mean they'll either execute or take off. In both cases, you'll probably be in happy with the result. How about somebody who's like hyper domineering? <laughs> Can you enjoy the show? You ever been on a date with somebody or or something where this person pretty much controls the entire room? And part of you feels like, hey, wait a minute, I, I and which is fine. You, you, that's a totally legitimate way to feel. But if that's a personality type that you were around a great deal, one of the best things you can do is just enjoy the show. Watch then you get to choose if you want to be around it in, you know, in a permanent way or not. Is it something you can avoid? Can you take it in small doses? And this is where you become an alchemist. You begin to transmute the, uh, the base metal of experience with difficulty so to speak, whether it's a difficult situation or difficult people, and you begin to actually play very consciously in the middle of all of this. You begin to look at someone who is deeply controlling. You begin to look at someone who is at war, someone who is a a clinger, someone who is domineering, someone who is a victim all the time, someone who's constantly whining, someone who is walking into situations late all the time and they talk about the excuse, but they don't ever apologize to you for inconveniencing you. Whatever this is, we can begin to watch it and participate in it in a much more deeply conscious way. A way that allows for our challenges, for our disappointments, for all of these things to challenge us to awaken. They're giving us Everything we need to awaken in that moment. Each of these personality types, each of these horrible, sometimes, these horrible situations. It's the universe basically waiting for us to open the door. Our challenge is to have that courage, to open the door, to let it all in, to play for keeps, to not look at this as some rehearsal but for us to actually die before we die, so that then we don't die. I ask the same question the third week All right. <laughs> um person who is always late, what, what are those types of personalities? Oh, I I think the best way to look at someone, someone who's perpetually late and then they're victims. They let life, uh, they they tend not to be uh, proactive, but they're ready to blame. And so as a result, it's always happening to me, right? You know, and the worst thing we can do is say, oh, that must be so hard for you. Because the minute we go there, what have we just done? It's about the most unenlightened thing we can offer them. We've just given that story weight. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, so as a as a practitioner, what we can do is being very intimate with someone's recognizing, and we have to be careful here because we don't want to suddenly turn into. Sigmund Freud on a cushion, you know, where every time we see somebody we're like, ah, I know what's wrong with you. You had a horrible relationship with your mother. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that's the most obnoxious thing in the world. Most obnoxious thing. In the <laughs> you know, if, if people think that you're therapizing them all the time, that's not it. But it's how can you best participate with the mark in ways that allow for awakening, for consciousness, to be what's at the core of our relationship as opposed to just making someone happy. Just making someone happy tends to help them carry whatever baggage they're already carrying. So being really careful, being very skillful, and being very conscious about how we participate with people it's, it's, a, it's a deep challenge, but I mean, because uh, on the flip side, you don't, you don't wanna hide behind brutality and say, oh, I'm just making them conscious. <laughs> That'd be really easy to do. Would you quit being such a jackass? <laughs> ah, I knew you would hear that, because you are a jackass, <laughs> you know, whatever. I mean, that's, that, that doesn't do it. It's being able to be deeply present and not flinching. In the face of the discomfort, the difficulty. Thank you. Yeah. 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 So, is the um, awakening the ability to be present with a very challenging personality like the warrior, you know, or the controller, and just to be present? I mean, I'm not really clear what you're saying. I mean, it almost sounds like you're. Are you asking me what awakening is or what an In awakened response to, to that personality an awakened response to any personality uh-huh. be it difficult or really easy is one of openness so a difficult personality typically the way we'll meet a difficult personality is our own personality which basically is just our persona our mask feels like it's just been attacked and what it does depending on our own personality, is it brings out the brigades, and it goes to fight. Okay, it might be a small fight. It might be nuclear. But it tends to be, it tends to be some type of very unattractive battle. But okay. could you just be sitting there and observing them going, hmm, nutcase. But the, you, 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 you are just <laughs> observing them. You're just <laughs> observing <laughs> them. You don't even say it out loud. You're just going, nutcase. Yeah. And what's happened is, their, their warrior, uh-huh. which is always judging, uh-huh. has just inspired yours. Okay. And so what happened is warrior went to war with warrior, except this is a cold war. Okay. It's not hot. The hot war would be you're being an asshole, uh-huh. right? And that's, that tends not to work. It tends to, to s- smush people. And in, it in in, in compromises our communication. This is one of the reasons why in Buddhism we have right speech as being one of the, you know, one of the precepts. Can we speak skillfully to each other? Mm-hmm. Can we call it what it is? They're not being an ass. They're just being. It takes us to label them for them to be that. Right? So it's just seeing. It's noticing. It's it's seeing that. it's seeing the behavior and then participating with that behavior in a way that is generous, and conscious. That's an awakened or an appropriate response. Okay. You can be generous with somebody who's a warrior who's attacking. You can only be generous with them if you're also generous with yourself in the process. <laughs> Sometimes that generosity might sound something like, "Don't you dare do that again." That hurts. The unenlightened way of saying something like that might be, don't you dare do that again. You're such a jerk, right? One is an invitation into seeing, you have you have made an effect, okay? Now with a warrior, that might not be good because a warrior tends to act like a bull. A warrior looks at emotion and goes, I got him. And they keep firing back. What do they need most? They need someone to step right into their face, perhaps, or let their energy through, as we've discussed. That, You know, there's no easy way around this, but being able to let go of their story and your own, starting with yourself, allows for usually us to get past the mess. Sometimes stories are so deep, they've been etched in stone. Relationships sometimes can do do this. For 30 years, we've been doing it this way, and it's so hard to rewrite those tablets but it can be done. Great therapists are, you know, can be helpful. Yes. What do you mean, not before dying, and why would anyone want to do that? Dying before we die means that we Let's back up. When we die, all is forgiven. All is let go. All is surrendered. Nothing is held. Any of us who have watched someone take their last breath, it's one of the most amazing things. Because what is really happening is a surrender. Sometimes it's long, sometimes it's quick, but we see the face that's pinched and hardened suddenly soften and open. All right? What happens if we can see a face soften and open or even more beautifully, we can feel a heart soften and open. A mind become more flexible. What if we can see or participate in that before it's actually forced on us by the universe's call? That way we participate in the grandeur That way we actually become an extension of the grandeur. We have given ourselves over to the mystery. That's when we die. And if we can do that before we croak, we're golden. That's the task. And we can, you know, we can joke around about it. We can say enlightenment is all about, you know, uh, uh, bliss and flowers. Nope, it's about dying before we die. And so then you meet life's challenges as if you were dead. Yes, you meet life's challenges as if you were an embodiment of release. And that means you can participate with a much bigger toolbox. You can build generosity in whatever it is that you do you can give and forgive continually. Because you don't need it because you're dead. You're dead. <laughs> yeah. Beautifully said. You don't need it, you're dead. That. that uh, with that in play, I, w- I would also say that um, dinner can sure taste good. That we can still live but we live from a place that's that's just broader. Yes. Isn't that just another way of saying um acceptance and surrender and letting go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, you're in a really cool spot, actually, personally, because you've been hanging out here for several years now. So you're starting to listen to me become kind of like a weird Dharma <laughs> And I say the same thing over and over again, but I use different words. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>